0: I'd like to ask you uh, to go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles, uh, if you have them, to Romans 1, where we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 32. And of course, you know, I have a Bible. We'll get that uh, stuff up on the screen on either side of me as we make our way through uh, the passage today. The text we're going to look at today is not one that we would consider fun nor is it really very enjoyable to talk about. It wouldn't be anyone's first choice for a topic, and you certainly wouldn't, won't find it, for instance, listed among the inspirational quotes from the Bible. It is, of course, true, since it comes from God's Word, but on the face of it, it's rather depressing. And it's certainly not the kind of thing which is popular in our culture today. Were you to talk about this on today's university campus, a typical campus today, you would be shouted down. Were you to list it on a website, some people would put all sorts of trigger warnings in the comments section, while others would roundly curse you for daring even to speak of such things, and it would send others still scurrying for their safe space, (laughs) whatever that is. (laughs) Now, in my grandparents' time, a a seemingly heartier generation, this text would still not have been a happy one, but they would have understood it, and they would have accepted it as truth. The interesting thing is, is they didn't need it uh, At least not like we need it, or in the same way that we need it in our times. For our grandparents, today's passage would have served as a warning, telling them to guard themselves so that they don't go down that awful path. In our day, it's a diagnosis telling us we've already arrived there. If our grandparents had found themselves in... The world in which we inhabit, they would be looking for a way to get back out of it. Today, far too many people are embracing the destination and even calling it bold, and they get angry with you if you disagree. So why should we even talk about this? It's not fun. It's not popular. In our day, it causes controversy. So why talk about it at all? Yes, I I know it's the next passage in the book of the Bible that is a church that we're working our way through, but why not just skip over this? After all, there's a lot of other material to look at, isn't there? (laughs) Well, maybe before I answer that, I should tell you a little bit about the passage itself in a kind of a summary form. It, It describes the culture in Rome and really the rest of the empire back in the days when the Apostle Paul lived. Uh, It's the description of that and what it means which is so disturbing. And it actually does more than simply describe the culture, though. It it also tells us in a kind of broad movement how the Roman world ended up in that depressing state. It explains how people who had real knowledge of the one true God squandered that away and arrived at a place where they embraced evil as though it were something good. The sobering reality of this, however, is that Paul's depiction of Rome is really quite common description of other cultures. Rome is merely the example that enables us to see and understand those other cultures down through the ages, and it is an accurate representation uh, of much of our world today, even, I'm sad to say, of our own United States of America. And when we read Paul's betrayal of the world, of his day, it's as though we're reading our own history leading up to recent events and from which we can see this country, which we love, tilting or lurching even further away from God. And that's why we need to talk about this. This section of scripture, which we're going to look at today, describes our world. God didn't make a mistake, including this in the Bible. We need to know what we have become or what we are becoming if you don't know that you're in prison, if you don't know that you're a slave, how will you ever get free? You don't even know you need to be free. And so we need to talk about this. And we need to talk about it because this is God's Word. We believers understand because the Bible tells us there is power in God's Word. There is power to change hearts and minds. Even those parts of God's Word, which might seem depressing, have power to make a real difference. So, we need to talk about this for that. And this is the truth. Whether anyone likes it or not. And there's something really important about truth. And Jesus tells us what that is. It's the truth which can set you free. So we speak the truth in the power of God's Word so people may know and understand their true position before God. Now, there's another reason we need to talk about this, and it's the reason that Paul writes all of this down in the first place. But we're going to save that for later. We'll come back to it after we look at the passage and then... This other reason, well, it'll shine, I think. I believe that it will come and bring a glow to our hearts. It certainly would give us hope, at least it should. Now, there's one more thing Uh, before we look at the text, which I need to explain. Otherwise, you may misunderstand the whole point. When Paul tells us about this world that he lived in, He's not saying that everyone in that culture was in the same place. There was a a kind of a moral spectrum, right? And there were people all along that spectrum going from, well, let's just say, better to much worse. And I want to illustrate it this way. Let's imagine, just for a moment, a kind of of a sphere. Let's call it a bubble so I can... I can stretch this sphere. And my hands here, um, they kind of outline that bubble, right? Well, the people within this bubble have a genuine knowledge of God. They're not with God yet. Uh, I mean, he's over here, but they know truth, real truth about him. Now, of course, even in this situation we're talking about, we know there are some people kind of over in here, right, who by their own choice are farther away from God. And then there are even some people that are kind of even further away. They're they're on the outside of this bubble. And the people within it, though, they know that they're on the outside. Now, reality is designed by God in such a way that this bubble cannot remain as it is. And if these people who know about God don't act on that knowledge, they begin to move away from him. Not everyone, you understand. Some people actually move toward God, but many people move away from him. And more and more people end up over here. Now, when enough people get over here, then the the culture, and again, not everyone in it, does this, but enough for over here that the culture begins to say, you know, this stuff that we're doing really isn't so bad after all. And when the culture gets to that point, something else happens. And and let's for now put it this way. The inherent restraint, which is within people who have a real knowledge of God, is taken away. You see, the people themselves have rejected And so people now to begin to move even further and further away from God and participating in things that are even more sinful than the things that they're doing back over here, which they knew at one time were wrong and they're now calling good. And so this process repeats. And Paul describes two or three or four steps uh, uh, uh this process where people get further and further away from God and the last step uh, uh, it gets over here and it puts the culture in a place where the people that are over here farthest away from God the whole mind of those people is given over to corruption now that's the picture of the Roman culture and our own now, it's a spectrum of morality and, and there are people in every part of that spectrum, but now there 's something happening there 's this tremendous pressure on the people that are over here on this side uh, and and to, to uh, and people all along it to move away from God to move further away from God because more and more people have. And it takes a kind of a tremendous strength to resist that. That's why so many people are drawn in that direction away from God. They don't have what it takes to stand firm. And let's be honest, none of us really has it strength in ourselves. We need God, or we too will be drawn away. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand my next statement. I'm not condoning for excusing sin here. But don't you have some sympathy, some compassion for the people who have been drugged this way away from God? I mean, they're still responsible for their actions, but we understand, don't we? We know what that pull is like and how powerful it is. Well, now, I I hope that illustration will help make sense out of this passage that we're going to look at, and it ought to help us move more quickly through some of it. But however that might be, we're going to begin looking at this passage, starting in verse 18, where we learn that God is angry at sin. So we read, uh, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God is angry at sin, and that anger is being expressed in our world today in various ways. Now, what we just read there plays right into an unfortunate and untrue stereotype of God. There are many people in our world who have a picture of God uh, where they think He's just sitting there waiting to get you because of your sin. But that's not what we just read. First, the the anger is, uh, is against those who suppress the truth about God by their wickedness. And in some sense, we all do that from time to time. Our sin suppresses the truth, but we confess and repent and we move on. But these people have made it a way of life. And then, too, the text tells us that God is revealing his anger. He's not keeping it a secret. God is letting people know that this kind of thing is bad, it's evil, and it deserves to be punished. And the reason he's letting them know that is so they will turn from it. It's like the guy who's banging his head against the wall, and you ask him why he's doing it, and he says, because it feels so good when I stop. God is, is wants people to stop banging their head against the wall by suppressing the truth because he has something so much better for them. You can think of it this way. When we raise our children, we have to let them know what kind of behavior is acceptable, and then we do that for their good. And when they deliberately engage in bad behavior, we need to, for their sakes, punish them. And if we don't, we fail them as parents. And that's all that God is doing here. Now, there is some confusion, too. I I have to say over the word wrath or anger. I mean, often when you and I feel those things, we feel almost out of control or we do something that we later regret. But God never lets his emotions get the best of him. He reveals his anger in a deliberate way in order to turn people from their sin. Now, those who refuse him will one day know the full, unbridled force of his anger, but now it's measured and revealed so people turn from their sin. Now, verses 19 and 20 help put what we just talked about in perspective. It helps us to understand the serious nature of what those people were doing. You see, there is real knowledge of the one and only true God and these people were suppressing. Them. So we read in beginning in verse 19 since that is God is revealing his anger against those who suppress the truth since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Humankind has been given real knowledge of God and everyone without exception has his knowledge. This is what the people mentioned in verse 18 were suppressing and that's why it's so serious of course, humankind doesn't know all there is to know about God. No one does. I mean, even those who are well-versed in the Bible and who put their faith in Christ don't know all there is to know about Him. Yet everyone knows some truth about God, and the truth is real. It's, it's plain. It's clear. It's unmistakable. It's understandable. The text goes on to say in the next verse that it is clearly seen. And God has made it that way. He has designed it so that Everyone knows at least some real truth about him. And just to make note of the Greek, you know, the the New Testament was written in Greek. This is a knowledge that's in them. It's not something that's outside of them. It's in their hearts. This knowledge of God is real, even though we can't see him. We learn about him through his creation. So we can't see bacteria, right? I mean, they're just invisible to us. They're too small. But we can see them through a microscope. Well, God, on the other hand, is much too big for us to take in. So we get some idea of him through the creation. And that knowledge that we get that way is genuine knowledge. It's real knowledge. Now, look, theologians differ on how effective this knowledge is for our purposes, we can say no one has any excuse. <laughs> and in fact that's exactly what the text says. But we can also say this acting on that knowledge opens a person's heart to more truth about God. And suppressing it puts one under a kind of active punishment. A punishment that comes from God. Now no one has an excuse. Real knowledge Of the real God is there, and it can lead to more real knowledge. But people who suppress it find themselves under God's righteous anger. Now, verse 21 tells us what happens when people in a culture don't act on this general knowledge of God, which God has made sure that they have. So we read in verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened again. That bubble was stretching away. Cultures moving more and more away from God, not acting on that knowledge of God which they had brought the darkness into their hearts. And we see that movement of God again where that bubble is stretching. Verses 22 and 23 tell us the immediate result of that. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings or birds and animals and reptiles. You see, we end up replacing God with our own idea, something of our own making. And I don't want you to be fooled into thinking this can't happen to you because you're not gonna make some little statue out of wood or stone or material. No, you probably won't. But you may do what so many other people have done and made God into their own image or turned him in their hearts and minds into what they think he should be. No one has an excuse real knowledge if the real god can lead to more real knowledge god if you don't act on it then knowledge a kind of spiritual blindness comes in while people who suppress it find themselves under god's righteous anger and so now in verses 24 through the end of the chapter and all the way to verse 32 uh, things ought to go a little bit more quickly Here's where the illustration of the bubble will really come in handy. See, we're going to look briefly at each of these things here, things which moves a culture farther and farther away from God. And we're going to make just a few comments to help our understanding. So what happens here is after rejecting the real knowledge of the one true God and this darkening of the hearts that has happened, Verses 24 and 25 tell us what happens next. Therefore, God gave them over. And I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. This is that inherent restraint which we talked about, and it's removed. We reject the truth, and so God allows us to experience the result of that rejection. So therefore, God gave them over sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. It's a common, ordinary sexual sin. It becomes the mark of a darkened culture. And uh, it's the next step away from God. I call it common and ordinary because as we're going to see things get even worse. Uh, some people, no doubt, think uh, that this is just evidence of the prudery of the Bible that God is against sin. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. God invented sex. He gave it to humankind as a great joy and pleasure. But it is also a powerful force which was intended by God to bind together the hearts of one man and one woman in such a potent way that a man would lay down his very life for the woman, that he would be committed to her and seek her good above his own and the woman should have the same kind of commitment to the man and both of them would live or die for their children but in our blindness people rip that good thing out of the place where it belongs a place designed by God the only place that that explosion can be controlled marriage And they use it for their own selfish ends. And that power which was designed to bind hearts together is too potent for our control and it becomes a force for destruction in our world. It's like a hurricane sweeping through a city and you can see the wreckage everywhere. But we get used to it. And we begin to think this is the way it is. And why shouldn't I be happy? Why shouldn't we be happy? What's the, what's the big deal? Why, this really is an acceptable thing. It's a good thing. That kind of thinking in a culture paves the way for the next move away from God. Where the sexual sin itself becomes corrupted. Verses 26 and 27. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now look, I, I know this teaching is not popular in our culture today, including in the entire Western world. There places like Canada, And England and France, a person can be arrested for teaching this truth down here in God's Word. We're told by those who think of themselves as elite that those of us who believe this are on the wrong side of history. That is a lie most places in our world today still see this as aberrant behavior. Most cultures throughout history identify this as deviant and harmful. Now we're being told this is normal healthy behavior, that people are born this way and can't help themselves, but science does not support that. Though again, we're being told that it does. There's a recent uh, review the scientific literature out of Johns Hopkins University and and uh, it reviews some 200 different studies in this area. And I'm going to read some of it word for word uh, with very little edit and a few comments, but what this study reveals is there's no compelling evidence that sexual orientation is innate. Let me put it this way, there's no gay gene. I know you've been told there is. There is no evidence for it. The researchers also found that gay teens were not destined to a life of homosexuality. Studies that are done over time, longitudinal studies, studies of adolescents, showed that uh, sexual orientation often changed over time. At least 80% of male adolescents who reported some same-sex attitudes no longer did so as adults. Non heterosexuals have an elevated risk for a variety of mental health difficulties, including anxiety, substance abuse, and intimate partner abuse. Non heterosexuals have double the risk of depression and two and a half times the risk of suicide. Scientific evidence does not support the idea that a person can be a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. There is no evidence. For a neurological basis for cross gender identification. They wrote the consensus of scientific evidence overwhelmingly supports a proposition that a physically and developmentally normal boy or girl is indeed what he or she appears to be at birth. There's no evidence that sex assignment surgery improves an individual's mental health. Sex assignment individuals were 19 times more likely to commit suicide. Getting the operation didn't help them. What's so disturbing about all this, in light of their discovery, is that in the majority of cases, childhood gender identity issues do not persist into adulthood, is the way the medical interventions are going in our culture, such as puberty blockers for elementary children or hormone therapy for high schoolers who display uh, genitor identity issues, and and they're promoted. The researchers said we're disturbed and alarmed by the severity and the irreversibility of some of the interventions being publicly discussed and employed for children science, real science does not support our culture's acceptance of this behavior, and God doesn't either. He knows the sadness and sorrow attached to such a lifetime. The truth is being suppressed. I have to say something. I'm not trying to be critical of people here who struggle in that area. I'm trying to tell the truth. My, My heart goes out to people who struggle in this matter, who are being lied to by people with an agenda. Frankly, the non-heterosexual community isn't doing anything more than the heterosexuals did when they abandoned God's standard. It's not any worse. It's still There's more, however. See, once we open the door to this once we accept it then we really do open a door to even worse things as we see in verse 28 furthermore just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done we're we're talking about people way over here now and the passage goes on to say and verses 29 and 30, to describe their behavior. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. When you hear that, does it sound familiar to you? I mean, how often have you heard it said? How many times have you said it yourself? I don't know what our world is coming to. Or I can't believe what I'm seeing or hearing here. Or don't they have any respect for anyone else or even themselves? Am I wrong, moms and dads? How hard is it to take your children out into this culture? What kinds of things do you today have to put up with? Are they being exposed to? Yeah, I'm not going to list all the things you can see going around you or read about in the news or see on television or hear in the radio. It honestly sickens me. Our text describes it accurately and it describes our culture. There are those whose mind is given over to evil. And it's expressed in all sorts of foul behavior, and you can read the list. Now, it's necessary for our complete understanding to note just a couple more things. Verse 30 tells us people like this are not content simply to do evil. They invent ways of doing it. And verse 31 tells us they have become incapable verse 32 kind of sums it all up. They, they know they deserve death because of their actions, but they keep on in their wicked way and they cheer on others who do evil. And so we read, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Doing evil, they continue to do it even though they know the penalty. And they encourage others to do the same. Now that is a really sad picture, is it? And there's not one person here that feels good about what we just read. Let me summarize all of this. Humankind is without excuse since they know enough about God to act responsibly toward Him, and yet they suppress the truth. So God expresses His wrath. And they have deliberately turned from God toward darkness, so they become fools. And because of their choice, uh, God removes His restraining hand, and the sin they accept comes to fruition. At each place where they choose and accept evil, they subject themselves to even more evil. Until their whole mind is given over to corruption, expressed in every kind of evil, even inventing it, becoming incapable of doing any good at all, knowing they're condemned and yet continuing in evil, and cheering others on to the That sad picture tells us about our world. But that's not the end of the story. Thank God that's not the end. If you were a diamond merchant and you wanted to display a diamond so that people could see it, what you would do is you would take a piece of black felt and you'd spread it out on a table And then he would lay that diamond on that felt and shine a light on it. And then people could see that reflection, that blackness behind the diamond makes that truth stand out even more. This world that we just talked about, this is the very world that Christ came to. This is the world that he came to save. This is the world that the gospel addresses. Paul told us about this world because we need to hear about it. We need to understand so we can better appreciate the power of the gospel to save people from themselves. Our world is lost This is not a joke. It's lost. But the gospel shines. It still shines. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark the days, no matter how perverse the evil, the good news of Jesus Christ shines in the darkness. And it is the power of God to save. Was killed in, uh, I believe it was World War I. He was buried, and a stone was put up at his grave. And it was etched into the stone these words There is not enough darkness in all the world to put out the light of one small. Christ living in him and through you, the light of the world, at this dark world's desperate The good news is still, You pray. With me? Thanks, Father, for your grace and goodness to us, and thank you that you tell us the truth. Lord, all sorts of people will lie to us. All sorts of people have agendas. Lord, we all lie to ourselves, but you always speak the truth, even when it's hard to hear. Do so, but we aren't without hope because we have you. Help us, Lord, to put our trust and our faith in you each and every day. And help us to indeed be the light of the world. In Jesus' name.